June's Journey is a fascinating hidden object mystery gaming app where you'll play as June Parker, tasked with a daunting obligation, solve your sister's murder. Set in the 1920s, the era of glitz and glam, this family mystery is one for the ages. Everyone's a suspect until your investigation determines otherwise. The clues are all around you, hidden within tricky twists and turns. You'll collect detailed information about each character in your photo album where you'll comb over every detail. You can even join a detective's club to chat and play with others or against them in the detective's league. With hundreds of puzzles to solve, you should probably get started today. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Sound the gifting panic alarm. We've all been there. You need to find the perfect gift. You have absolutely zero ideas and you don't know where to start. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode takes the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. Just answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Imagine pages of artisan espresso mugs for the coffee connoisseur in your life. Or for the pickleballer, customized paddle covers in every shade imaginable. Etsy's got you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Good morning, I'm Charles Osgood and this is Sunday Morning. As you see, we're looking ahead to the arrival of fall this coming Wednesday. We're also looking ahead to the much anticipated arrival this week of the Pope. Pontiff now is in Havana. Thousands have gathered for Sunday morning mass in Revolution Plaza. He arrives in the United States on Tuesday. Martha Teichner will take the measure of what's being called the Francis Effect. These last days of summer have been days of misery for thousands of refugees seeking safety in Europe, as we'll see in a Sunday journal from Charlie Daggett. The first thing that hits you is the sheer scale of this crisis, then the heartbreak. Images that have stunned the world, thousands of refugees, most of them from Syria, facing hardship and even violence in Eastern Europe after fleeing the conflict in their homeland. And what we learned is back in Syria, they see their friends leaving and neighbors leaving, and they think we should leave too. The geography of human suffering ahead on Sunday morning. All washed up and proud of it is the best way to describe the guys Bill Geist has been hanging out with. Folks, this speed queen is top of the line. But I don't know if I'd call it collectible. Which way do the machines? But these guys do. Oh my gosh, what's best for permanent press, John? Oh, wow. Washing machines are their passion. 
These have personality. There's that burping action. For me, I've always been fascinated with these machines. I waited my whole life for this. Meet these magnificent men in their washing machines later on Sunday morning. Jane Pauley talks with a man on a mission, filmmaker Alex Gibney. Steve Hartman visits a little boy who is one good guy and more. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. As we've told you, Pope Francis is celebrating an open-air mass this morning in Havana, Cuba. First stop on a journey that will bring him to the United States on Tuesday. As this week's cover of People magazine makes clear, the Pope is the man of the moment. Call it the Francis effect. Our cover story is from Martha Teichner. Passersby don't even notice the figure on the bench in front of Catholic charities in Washington, the one by the banner announcing that Pope Francis is coming. But if they did... They might think it's a real homeless person. Canadian sculptor Timothy Schmaltz has named the work Homeless Jesus. Only after they come very close up with it will they notice the wounds here. And that is the way they can identify it as being Christ. So it's a sculpture that is almost like theater. Like seeing what Pope Francis stands for. I've sat here myself and contemplated life. You know, Being acted out. That's me. And Jesus laying here is a semblance of all the God that we have within us. Right here this Thursday, Francis himself will be meeting with the homeless, delivering his own show and tell about what he believes the Catholic Church should be. Before he became Pope, if you asked the person on the street, what's the Catholic Church? People would say they're against abortion, they're against gay marriage, they're against birth control. Father Thomas Reese is a senior analyst for the National Catholic Reporter. Now you go out and you ask people, what what do you think Pope Francis is all about? Oh, he's the guy who really cares about the poor. He's concerned about the environment. He wants to preach the love and the compassion of God towards people. Buonasera. From the instant the Argentine Jorge Mario Bergoglio walked out on that balcony March 13th, 2013, he began signaling no more business as usual starting with his choice to be the first ever Pope Francis, taking the name of a saint who lived in poverty. Feeling in the square was just very joyful. It was just electric. Christiana and Paul Gondreau from Johnston, Rhode Island, were in St. Peter's Square that night, and again on Easter Sunday with their children, including Dominic, who has cerebral palsy. During the course of the Mass, there was an usher who had taken notice of Dominic and had just got the idea in his head, that boy is going to meet the Pope. I'm going to get you situated on the route that the Pope-mobile is going to take. And this is what happened. My son at Lucas says, it's Dominic. <laughs> Something. I looked up at the jumbotron. Of course, it was so moving, you know. <laughs> what did you do? Oh, well, I, I, I was moved to tears. He actually took his arm and put it around the Pope's neck. I can count on my two hands the number of times that's happened in the course of his lifetime. It felt for me as a mother that it was a little kiss directly from God. Just, I know your son is in this crowd. I love him. And he gave him a kiss. That's what it felt like. 
On his first visit to the United States, Pope Francis is likely to get a rock star welcome and then some. The vast majority of American Catholics approve of the direction he's leading their church, according to a CBS News poll out this morning. Just this month, he announced that priests can absolve women who've had abortions and a dramatic simplification of marriage annulment. But some issues remain deeply troubling to American Catholics. According to our CBS News poll, fewer than half approve of the way he's handling the clergy sex abuse scandal. Although compared to his predecessor, Pope Benedict, that's a huge improvement. There are a lot of things that are from an older generation that just don't make sense to me. And some of the things that are a bit antiquated or honestly unfair, I, I choose to ignore, if you will. At 29, Maggie Place is the personification of many young American Catholics, conflicted. I would fall into that category of a cafeteria Catholic. I have several friends who are gay and will, I will likely attend their gay marriages someday. Maggie is in the choir that will sing for Francis during his outdoor mass in Philadelphia next Sunday. It concludes the World Meeting of Families, the conference which prompted his visit to the United States. LGBT families have been all but shut out of the event. On the thorny issue of gays in the church, the Pope's who am I to judge comment was a shift in tone. Slight changes in rhetoric seem like monumental changes in terms of what the Catholic Church is espousing. For gay lawyer Matthew Petorti and his parents, Cheryl and Francis, a change in rhetoric is good, but not good enough. They say everyone's welcome to church, whether you're gay or straight. But if you're gay, you cannot be a full Catholic because you cannot get married. And if he said to me, Dad, I have to leave the Catholic Church because they don't accept me, I would say, Matthew, I understand completely. The Putortis appear on a video pleading acceptance for LGBT Catholics that was hand-delivered to Pope Francis. Right now I haven't made a decision, so I'm not going to leave during the struggle. That's what faith is, that faith, faith is that hope for something better. But as for the rest of the Pope's goals... Do you see any possibility that Pope Francis will permit priests to marry? I think there's a very good chance. According to Father Thomas Reese, allowing women to be priests is not on the Pope's reform agenda. What is? Making the church a more tolerant place. The question is whether this kinder, gentler Francis effect is actually trickling down and putting Catholics back in the pews. I've talked to people who have been excited by Francis and decided, okay, I'm going to give it another chance. And they went back to their parish and they heard the same old, same old. And they turned around, walked out the door, and they're never coming back. There can be no Francis effect unless, you know, we all get on board uh, with his agenda and his priorities and his style and his spirituality. Americans seem to like his style very much. Millions of people, Catholic and non-Catholic, are expected to gather just to be near him. The Francis effect? They just want to feel it.
Coming up, in search of a home. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Refugees by the thousands remain in limbo along the roads and borders of Europe this weekend. Charlie Daggett has spent the last few weeks covering the refugee crisis. He just returned to London and has this Sunday Journal. The first thing that hits you is the sheer scale of the crisis. Then, the heartbreak. Every day we thought, and they probably thought too, well, it can't get much worse. Almost every day, it did. Another injustice. Another act of cruelty. Of senseless brutality. Another reminder of the risks and sacrifices. What did you do in Aleppo? The vast majority of migrants we met were Syrian refugees. This is the road to Aleppo. Having been to Syria, I knew firsthand the death and destruction they left behind. But why now? That war has been raging for almost five years. No, no life. No life. Every last person we spoke to told us the same thing. Now, their lives were in danger. The war was no longer something on the horizon, but in their neighborhoods. And their homeland was never going to get better. What we found along the way is that people you meet tend to come from the same area, like a large group of people from Aleppo. In an entirely different location, everybody is from Latakia. And what we learned is back in Syria, they see their friends leaving and neighbors leaving, and they think we should leave too. So you've got whole neighborhoods, whole communities emptying out at once. We found so many people who left behind successful, prosperous lives because they felt they had no other choice. A cardiologist with his three children, his wife is a dentist, the legal advisor on the train, an agricultural engineer, a laboratory technician. And we've seen just a staggering, heartbreaking number of children, toddlers, babies. They had seen that some of those who had gone before them had pulled it off, had found a place to make a fresh start. Still, though there may be strength in numbers, it's the scale of these numbers that has caused the doors to start closing. So they were trapped by the thousands for days at the Budapest train station. Then there were those who made it onto trains, thinking they were headed to the border, only to be herded into holding camps. We saw Hungarian riot police spraying tear gas into crowds and beating a crowd of migrants with nightsticks. Women and children among them. Now, the Hungarian government is building a 110-mile razor wire fence, which will not only keep the migrants out of the country, but out of the rest of Europe as well. Its right-wing government will have a lot to answer for. The UN has criticized Hungary for what it calls callous treatment of the migrants and clear violations of international law. And there's irony here. Hundreds of thousands of Hungarians used this same route to flee Soviet occupation after World War II. But now the migrants' trail must take them through Serbia, through fields still littered with landmines from the Balkans' war of the 1990s. There have been some heartwarming moments, 
By wild coincidence, we found 16-year-old Jawan Kamal from Aleppo on a train through Austria two weeks after we first talked with him in Greece. His escape, still a hopeful fantasy. I want to save my future. He's now made it all the way to Germany, the country most of these refugees hope to settle in, where he's free to start a new life. But tens of thousands are still stranded in between. A humanitarian crisis made worse because of a political crisis. The newly homeless, the people nobody wants, driven from the place they can no longer live. Still to come. This is a top loader. This is a 57 speed queen. This is a dual matic. It's a washer, washer dryer. Yeah. All washed up. to play it a new podcast network featuring radio and tv personalities talking business sports tech entertainment and more play it at play.it from the flimsiest fabric to the grimiest work shirt easy spiral later washing action gets out all the dirt early tv commercials promoted state-of-the-art machines as the modern way to make sure our clothes were all washed up Bill Geist has found some guys who've taken that message to heart. Do you consider wash days as nothing more than a chore? Maybe it's time you change your attitude. Try to be more positive, more enthusiastic. All right, everybody, we're going to go down and do laundry now. More like these guys. Bring your dirties. Okay. Load me up. There we go. <laughs> they love laundry. Which way to the machines? They can't wait to wash. Oh my gosh, what's best for permanent press, John? Oh, wow. You want to do this one, Mark? Yeah, you want to try yeah, this? Go for it, Get your laundry. They're members of the Washing Machine Collectors Club. So exciting. It's like Christmas morning. Really? So is this your treasure trove down here? Yes, this is my treasure trove. Come on in, Bill. This is a top loader. This is a 57 Speed Queen. This is a Duomatic. Dual it's a washer, washer, dryer. washer dryer. It's a Philco Bendix. This is 1958. John Charles was a founder of the group back in 1984. So how many members at that point? We had about six, I think. Uh -huh. Now we're up about 3,000 members worldwide. 3,000? 3,000 washing machine collectors. Oh, yeah. A staggering, some might say alarming, figure. We have a collector in Madagascar. We have our first Russian member. Uh, we've got people in Australia. We've got everywhere. Here we are, Paul. Man. You get to pick a machine oh now. Oh, my gosh. Members gather regularly. We should put some more dirty clothes in here. For what are called wash-ins, like this one at John's house near Boston. That's like shaving cream now. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody need to shave? <laughs> it just is three days of crazy washing around the clock. I mean, if we're in the morning, you got to say, okay, guys, it's time to quit. I waited my whole life for this. Fifteen of the faithful brought their dirty laundry from as far away as Canada and Nebraska. I love the sound this one makes. To play with the 22 working machines in John's basement. I thought I was the only person that was crazy for appliances like this. And come to find out, when I came across the club, I was like, oh my god, there's more people like me. You know, and it was really nice. This is the Kelvinator. That's rinsing action for you. These have personalities. There's that burping action. For me, I've always been fascinated with these machines. John loves them all. Ooh, this is sleek and... This is my, this is my pride and joy. 
but this combo is a favorite. Wow, that's the pounder. That's the pounder, exactly. Mm -hmm. The 1957 Blackstone B250 in charcoal with the distinctive and very excellent control towers. Looks like it's gonna take off. Uh, oh yeah, 1100 RPM. That's the oh, fastest wow. one that was ever made for a top loader. Really? Yeah. The two are believed to be the only pair in captivity. There we go. Look at that. That's pretty, isn't it? John's other treasure is the 1938 Bendix. It's the first time I've actually seen one of these run. This is like a lifetime moment. Which always draws a crowd. They like to watch and watch. Come, come look. And watch. Everybody has their most favorite part of the cycle, and what's, everybody's different. What's yours? I like the drama of spin. <laughs> to me, that's dramatic. I like that. It's drama. It's washer drama, we call it. And green was a much better yeah, color yeah, than oh, the gold. Yeah. Oh, Between loads, these avid laundrymen <laughs> chat. Yeah, Matador Red, but that was in the mid-60s. Debate. Two dozen machines in my collection. I made 2025. And compare collections. And how many machines do you have? Oh, near 200. <laughs> 16 washers, 14 dryers. Paul from Canada collects but one color. Turquoise is my color. That's, yeah. my, that's my handle on the club, turquoise dude. What draws seemingly normal people wow. to collect big old appliances and do their laundry in other people's basements? We'll let Cal from Maryland answer that. I have a good friend who's a child psychologist and she's sort of been studying this sort of passively. Does she think it's a syndrome of some kind, something that can be treated? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we all know it can't. <laughs> Not to worry. Paul, oh, yes. Bill's got coffee on his shirt. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, thank you that very in much. There. there will always be loads and loads of dirty laundry in this world. Ahead, the kid, the cookies. I'll say thank you very much. And the cops. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Police in one Michigan town are getting back up from a young man who's definitely one of the good guys. With the story, here's Steve Hartman. No one ever said all police officers were bad. But with all the protests this year, you could understand how someone might get that impression. No peace! Especially a little someone. It makes me really sad. After seeing one of the protests on the news, 10-year-old Jeremy Bordua of Lansing, Michigan, who always wanted to be a police officer, asked his mom, Marcella, if he had picked the wrong profession. He goes, Mom, the cops are still the good guys, right? And I said, yeah, you know, there are some bad police officers. And then there's still the good ones that are trying to protect themselves. Jeremy got that but he still didn't like the idea of good police officers being called bad names. It felt like bullying to him. I've been picked on ever since I was in kindergarten. And you saw a little bit of yourself in the police officers? Yep. Is that why you wanted to do something about it? Mm-hmm. Jeremy came up with the idea of a police thank you party. And when his mom tried to explain they didn't have money for that, Jeremy offered a solution to give up his birthday party. Why? Because the police um, 
or more important than any birthday party. When Marcella realized how sincere Jeremy was, she agreed to help him do it upright. Okay, ready? All summer, they've been making and selling cookies to raise money for the party. And all summer, officers have been showing up in droves to thank him. He tapped into something huge. Michelle Bryant is with the Lansing Police Department. It was very uplifting, and it did start to improve morale. He would stop in and deliver cookies, and you could just see it on the officers' faces. Thank you very much. They would light up. The party will be next February on Jeremy's 11th birthday. They're expecting hundreds of officers to attend from all over central Michigan. And although Jeremy has surrendered his birthday for the cause, his mom says he has already received a great gift. He's positive. He's happy. He couldn't wait to go to school. Could that be because he has a whole police force on his side? <laughs> I think it has a lot to do with that. <laughs> I mean, would you mess with this kid? It's not easy being Catholic today in America. It's a little like being a Cubs fan for the last hundred years. Jim Gaffigan, preparing for the Pope. Next. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. With everything from bobbleheads to toast bearing his image, American Catholics eagerly await the arrival of Pope Francis. And that includes our contributor, Jim Gaffigan. Next Saturday, I will be performing stand-up comedy for 1.5 million people. And that's not the intimidating part of the gig. One of the audience members will be Pope Francis. That's right, the Pope. I'm Catholic, a practicing Catholic, and my wife will tell you I need the practice. I hope the Pope understands. The Pope is known throughout the world and the spiritual leader of over a billion Catholics. That's right, Pope Francis is bigger than Justin Bieber. I guess you could say the Pope is like a Catholic superhero. He's got the cape, the hat. Heck, his car is even called the Pope Mobile. Now, Pope is a tough job. We know Pope is a tough job because the last Pope quit. I'm done. I'm out of here. And everyone in the Vatican was like, uh, you're supposed to speak for God until you die. And the Pope was like, uh, God told me to quit and eat more cheese. Most of us don't even have Pope as a career goal. I wonder if when Pope Francis was growing up, he fantasized about being Pope. You know, we might about being a professional athlete. Was he eight years old in his backyard? There he is, the leader of all the Catholics. <sighs> what a Pope, what a Pope. Would have been great if he had a kid that ended up being Pope. That'd be the ultimate bragging rights. Oh, your son's a doctor, ours is Pope. Oh, yours has a nice house. Our son has his own city. It's in Europe. It would have been weird to go to high school with the Pope. Somebody did. Somebody was sitting at home in Argentina watching TV. Wait a minute, that guy is Pope? It's not easy being Catholic today in America. It's a little like being a Cubs fan for the last hundred years. Love the team, not crazy about some of the management we've had. Pope Francis is looking to change that. Upon his election, Pope Francis didn't move into the Apostolic Palace, but a simple boarding house. Pope Francis washed the feet of strangers. Doesn't get any more humble than that. By the way, if you're gonna wash a stranger's feet, ask permission first and remove their shoes. I learned that the hard way. 
Pope Francis also calls people on the telephone. I don't know why you would believe it's the Pope. Hello? It's the Pope. Oh, can you hold on? I have Spider-Man on the other line. While Pope Francis is warm and genuine, I believe the thing Catholics and non-Catholics respond to most is his humility. In this age of Putin, ISIS, and Trump, it's so nice to hear a world leader say, who am I to judge? Coming up. So this is Jigsaw. Jigsaw. Man with a camera. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. He's a man on a mission. Documentary filmmaker Alex Gibney, as Jane Pauley now shows us. To describe Alex Gibney as prolific is an understatement. He's made 14 documentaries in just five years, exploring what one reporter calls the porous boundaries between good and bad. His subjects range from Enron. It had taken Enron 16 years to go from about 10 billion of assets to 65 billion of assets, and took him 24 days to go bankrupt. To the fall of former New York Governor Elliot Spitzer. My view is I brought myself down, and I will not try to blame others or excuse my behavior. I did what I did, and, and shame on me. Now in his crosshairs, Steve Jobs. Do you think early on that Steve could be the guy? Oh, definitely. You just had to spend a few minutes with him, and you knew it. He had the ability to talk about the possibility of what this computer could be. When the Apple CEO died in 2011, Gibney says he was intrigued by the outpouring of grief over Jobs' death. And that led to Steve Jobs, the man in the machine. Yeah, I was uh, haunted by a question, which was, when he died, why was it that so many people who didn't know him wept all over the world? He was the CEO of the world's most valuable corporation. And when CEOs of big corporations die, you don't usually see people around the world lighting candles to them. I looked at a guy who started out very much as a renegade, wanting to stick it to the man, and ended up becoming the man himself. Which has come to define your, your target area. You stick it to a man. Mm. What did Steve Jobs do to get on your list? Well, <laughs> I, I didn't set out to stick it to Steve Jobs. We could sort of influence the world. But the documentary is an unvarnished portrait of a visionary who, by all accounts, was a fiercely competitive businessman. It becomes very Godfather-esque. You know, you're part of my family, and Apple's my family, and you don't want to leave my family. And at the end, he says, if you choose to leave my family, uh, should you decide to take so much as one member of my family away from me, I will personally take you down. After all, this is a man who for years denied the paternity of his eldest daughter. She got pregnant, and Steve just was not, not, not me, it's not me, it's not me, right? Even though that was not a, a, a reasonable thing to say. And yet, Steve Jobs is the man who brought us all things I, from the iPod to the iPad, and the iPhone. I think his great contribution in a positive sense was introducing us 
to these machines and saying they're not distant tools, they can be an extension of yourself. The 61-year-old Gibney says he prefers his characters and stories more gray than black and white. You know, it's interesting, I think about this and it's like living a lie. I didn't live uh, a lot of lies, but I lived one big one. You know, it's different. You were rolling on one film and then suddenly yes. what happened? We had a film that was a kind of heroic comeback story. Lance Armstrong comes back after many years and as an old man kicks the butt of all the young kids and shows us all what, what Will can do. I like to win, but more than anything, I, I can't stand the idea of losing because to me that equals death. And look at this, Armstrong accelerating once again. That film was ready, it was mixed, and then a funny thing happened. Whoops. I lied. I lied. Not only did I lie, but I lied the biggest lie you could possibly imagine. It wasn't just a little bit of dope here and there. I ran a doping program that was there from the start. And, and, and even worse, he was the hero to all these cancer survivors. And to find out that actually he was trafficking on their hope and their pain in a way to ennoble himself, that was the, that was the real crime. So this is Jigsaw. Jigsaw. Jigsaw is the name of his production company. So I am a, kind of a puzzle freak. Gibney is so the son is of a journalist who he says had a deep-seated distrust of authority. You know, they say to succeed, you're supposed to suck up and kick down. Well, he was the classic guy who sucked down and kicked up, which was never a good career path. He was at Time... He was at Time, then fired, at Newsweek, fired, at Life, fired. Still, Frank Gibney seems to have been a big influence on his son, along with Gibney's stepfather, theologian William Sloan Coffin. There was something about my father, my mother, and then my stepfather. I think they all ruddered against authority in, in, in their own peculiar ways, and, and that probably rubbed off on me too. Alex Gibney won an Oscar in 2008 for Taxi to the Dark Side, an unflinching look at America's use of torture in the post 9-11 world. When the second one died a week later, that's when it was like, oh crap, something's gonna happen now. You know, two prisoners dying within a week of each other. That's bad. His film about the Catholic Church's handling of child sexual abuse earned him two Emmy Awards. Before ordination, I had no idea that we had treatment centers around the world for priests to go to when they sexually molested, raped, and sodomized kids. Earlier this year, he turned his focus on the religion of Tom Cruise and John Travolta in HBO's Going Clear, Scientology and the Prison of Belief. To understand Scientology, you have to understand the life and mind of its inventor, L. Ron Hubbard. Gibney often narrates his own work, putting himself in the line of fire. The Church of Scientology took out a full-page newspaper ad denouncing him and his film. How have you been described? Cool customer. It's kind of fearless. I mean, you are unafraid to be, take on bullies who have a reputation for undermining their critics. You're not afraid of that? You'd be crazy not to be a little bit afraid of that. But if you're too afraid, you're frozen. And that's how the bullies win. Uh, if you don't stand up, 
they get away with murder. From his office with its view of Manhattan, Alex Gibney is a man on a mission. Bullies make me angry. They make you so angry, I think your face got a little bit red when you said bullies make me angry. Yeah, that may be so. That's one of the reasons, I mean, in terms of the Scientology film, that's a film about bullies, how, how, how innocent people who want to better their lives are basically manipulated and bullied by a few people uh, in, in, in rather brutal ways. So that's what, that's what gets me motivated. That's what gets me up in the morning. Last week, Going Clear won three Emmy Awards, among them the Emmy for Outstanding Documentary. I'm Charles Osgood. Please join us again next Sunday morning. Till then, I'll see you on the radio. Brighten your mornings with CBS News Sunday Morning Merchandise from ParamountShop.com. Shop mugs, sweatshirts, and T-shirts to start your mornings with style. Take 20% off at checkout with code SUNDAY20 at ParamountShop.com. That's 20% off at checkout on all CBS News Sunday morning products with code SUNDAY20 at ParamountShop.com.